Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're now coming close to our 29th anniversary. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always determine the agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. Also, you may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of previous shows. You can also do that on SoundCloud. And this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's a great idea to call or text now. Early in the broadcast, I will have the best opportunity of getting to it and answering your question. So I'll do so. In fact, I just got a message. And my, I should, that reminds me, I should say my rule is I take today's calls first, and then I take today's uh, text secondly, and then after that, uh, I go to any previous uh, topics and or texts that I haven't fully answered. Let's see here. It says, Hello, Carl. If the amount of a donor's gift exceeds the annual gift tax exclusion, under what circumstances would the donor be required to pay a gift tax? Very rarely, because we're all walking around with, I'm going to get this number wrong, about uh, a gift tax exclusion that's a much, much bigger number uh, that's a lifetime exclusion. And so you can tap into that and not have to pay a gift tax. I'll look that specific number up. Uh, I've got the tax tables here because I live an exciting life. And I'll look that up because I know that information is there. But you would have to have had either... If you had had given away a lot of money and you'd used up your lifetime exclusion or exemption, then you'd have to pay a gift tax, but otherwise you would not. That's my understanding, and as I always say, <laughs> I am not a CPA. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Bob, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, Carl. Thanks for taking the call. You bet. Uh, we all know that people that are trying to do marketing a lot of times will glom on to fear cells and try to send you something to uh, get your attention based on your being frightened by the news. Right. Uh, but I also get many of these that have kind of a common theme, and I'm starting to wonder if sometimes they know something that I haven't been keeping up with. For instance, the dollar recall. Mm-hmm. or monetary reorganization, mm-hmm. or digital dollar. Mm-hmm. We all know that our national debt is um, capable of drowning the United States, and so mm-hmm. the Congress at some point is going to have to do something. Right. So when I see those things, I'm wondering if there is something in the works, and I sure. haven't been keeping up with it. Right. Can you talk to me about when you get these sensational news lines, how you go about researching them to find out if there's any merit in there or if it's just marketing. Sure, great question. And let me, let me, and I'm glad that you asked that, and I hope we have a lot of listeners today because this is a frightening and growing phenomenon. I received a call uh, this week uh, where a client, 76-year-old uh, female client, uh, said she wanted to sell half of her portfolio. She was going to put it in gold and silver. 
And I said, well, obviously, if that's what you want to do, it's your money. Uh, but I have a fiduciary responsibility to, to do what I believe is best for you. I will tell you that I don't think that's a good idea, but help me understand what it is that has caused you to make this decision because you've owned financial assets for many, many, many years. She said, well, the turmoil, all the turmoil, and I read online that the government may take away my money or will take away my money, uh, and, I just, and I, I just want to put it in gold or silver. So there's the crux of it, and that is that the average person, if he or she spends a lot of time online, is going to end up reading stuff without having any way of knowing whether or not it's valid. And I think there's an old phrase, Bob, that you and I have heard throughout our lives, which is knowledge is power. And you can't possibly be an Internet detective and waste your time trying to, to track down where that information is coming from. And you're absolutely correct. It's fear-based, just like conspir- it's a conspiratorial approach. And as we know, conspiracies have been around probably since the beginning of human existence. And it's based on fear, and it helps people make sense out of the world when they're in a fearful place. But the knowledge is, let's just take the take away the dollar first. So what I said to this person is, sure, global trade can happen in other currencies, even outside currencies. For example, let's just say what we know Brazil is a large producer of grain. Brazil could trade grain for the with the Chinese for semiconductors Saudi Arabia could trade oil for some uh, for some other product from India or from some other country but the fact is that something like 50% of global trade is th- is with the US and we represent that 300 and some million people about 5% of the 7 billion people on the earth but we are the giant when it comes to global trade and it is, it is in the government's interest to keep the dollar the world's reserve currency. Now, your point about our debt is absolutely correct, and I talked about this, I believe, last week. The challenge, and you, you, you posit the location of the solution, which is the federal government and Congress and the administration. But the fact of the matter is that when you add up Medicare, Medicaid, uh, let's see, social, I'm doing some memory, Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, defense, and the interest on the debt, that, that's 75% of the federal budget. So when people say, I'm going to go to Washington and clean up waste, fraud, and abuse, well, it's pretty hard to do that when 75% of the budget are what you could easily call entitlements plus interest payments. And no one's going to run for Congress or stand up on the floor of the House or the Senate and say, let's cut Social Security benefits, Medicare benefits, Medicaid benefits, defense spending, and oh, by the way, let's don't pay the interest on our debt. So this is the problem. The answers are straightforward. Increase tax revenue, decrease expenditures. I mean, it's what you have to do as a human being. But because we can borrow unlimited amounts of money, we don't do that. Now, at some point, we, to your point, we won't be able to borrow unlimited amounts because the world will demand such a high interest rate. This is what happens to countries that default like Argentina. We're nowhere close to that. So it's fear-mongering on the Internet 
and social media that lead people to these kinds of scary, scary understandings. And let me just assure you as listeners that the dollar is not going to go away and that the government's not going to take away your dollars. It's simply not going to happen. And when you get these kinds of uh, I presume uh, emails or however you get it, texts or whatever. Uh, as I tell people, when when you when you're told of a guaranteed 15% return, run as fast as you can in the other direction, because none of this is tr- it's just it's just hooey. None of it's true, and it scares the heck out of people, and it's it's a huge disservice. But because it's impossible to find where this comes from, who knows where it comes from? Uh, you know, it's the old one. You're, you you get a you get an email from someone says your cousin and I'm stranded and I need money when it's really coming from Nigeria. So it's not it's impossible to know where. All you can have is knowledge is power. And so I hope if you're a regular listener that when you encounter friends and family who tell you these kinds of things that you do you do two or three things. First of all, share with them my views, and secondly. Uh, Tell them to listen to Money Talk. <laughs> it's self-serving as heck. But I think we put out uh, true information here, and knowledge is power. So that's a long-winded answer, but that's that's what that's how I think about it, and that's what I encourage people to do, Bob. Thank you, Carl. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I will be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5. And when you have a question, call or text 512 836 0590. Here's the answer on that gift tax. It just came in texted in. The estate tax exemption for 2023 is $12.92 million. The gift tax exclusion for 2023 is $17,000. Going above $17,000 will not require paying a gift tax, but you still have to turn in an IRS form 709. So the IRS can keep track of your giving. Let me just read that again. The estate tax exemption for 2023 is $12.92 million. The gift tax exclusion for 2023 is $17,000. Going above $17,000 will not require paying a gift tax, but you still have to turn in an IRS Form 709 so that the IRS can keep track of your giving. That's wonderful. Thank you. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Let's see here. I think I got another text. Is this from? Yes, it is. Hi, Carl. Should I have the same asset allocation for the after-tax account as I do for the Roth and IRA? I have a solid 10-year time horizon. However, I'm very conservative with after-tax money. Thank you. So, I would say that a qualified yes. The way I think about it is to say, what are my goals and objectives? Because you're the same person with the same goals and objectives 
whether it's in an IRA, a Roth IRA, or a taxable account. Now, if you are in a higher tax bracket, or you're a person who just absolutely is so phobic, and that's a judgmental term on my part about taxes, there are some things you can do. So, for example, let's suppose that your asset allocation is 60% stocks and 40% bonds. If you want in your taxable account to reduce the tax liability, then you would make the bond portion in tax-exempt municipal bonds. So you'd have either individual bonds, or if you're a regular listener, you know I like uh, actively managed bond funds, tax-exempt bond funds. On the equity side, passively managed exchange-traded funds have a track record of not distributing capital gains. Now, we're getting more actively traded exchange-traded funds, but I have personally not examined them to see if they have the same level of tax efficiency as, say, an ETF that follows the total stock market or the NASDAQ or the S&P 500 or the total international market. So if taxes were your primary consideration, you can reduce the taxes in your, in your taxable account and still have the same asset allocation. In your Roth, for example, or your IRA, you would use, in my opinion, investment-grade bond funds that invest in government agencies, treasuries, and investment-grade corporates and just use the tax exempt on the other side. Now, you will pay a price for this, and that is there are some strategies available in daily liquidity form, but they're not tax efficient. So if you're a long-term listener, you know that I have uh, a modest position in gold, and I use the gold exchange-traded fund. There are two big active ones, GLD and IAU. I'm not making a recommendation. I'm just telling you my opinion, but I'm not telling you to do this. I want you to hear that as well as my attorneys. And then they have many contracts. So I believe it's GLDM and IAUM, but I'm not positive that they have even lower expense ratios. But they do pay out taxable income. They do pay out monthly small amounts, and that's taxable. Now, the other thing is there are some strategies. Long-term listeners know I'm fond of what are called event-driven strategies like merger arbitrage. They pay out taxable. And also, I'm a a fan of trend-following strategies, which are managed futures, and they pay out taxable. So to the extent that you want a balanced portfolio with non-correlating assets, you will pay the price in taxes. Capital gains have, I presume forever, at least for the 45 years I've been paying attention, have always been a lower tax rate. Long-term capital gains have always been a lower tax rate than ordinary income. So you in my view, even when you have actively managed equity funds, you can you can look up their tax efficiency and the distributions that they've done. And some funds are much more active and have more taxable distributions and some are less. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Carol, you're on the air. How may I help? Uh, yes, I would just like to get your opinion on converting a 457 plan with $600,000 into a Roth IRA. And sure. I am 70 years old. And whether I should do it all in one lump sum if I do it, or should I kind of break it up so that I have a lower tax bracket? Right. Of course. So, what you, well, first of all, operationally, 
you would take the 457 and and roll it into an IRA. Then if you were going to put money in a Roth, that's called a conversion, I mean, even though it looks the same, then you would convert convert money into a Roth IRA. So you would open an, a Carroll IRA account and a Carroll Roth account. Now, if you want to keep taxes in mind, and I suspect you do, one reason you're considering a Roth conversion, you would just want to, you'd want to know what you anticipate to be your taxable income in the year in which you anticipate this. And there's no rush. You would want to keep yourself in the same tax bracket or slightly higher. There's tax bracket at 22% marginal bracket, and the next higher bracket is only two percentage points more, or 24%. So I don't. That's not a big tax penalty, but the one after 24% is, as I recall, 32%. You hear me shuffling papers here as I get out the tax taxes. So, are you a single taxpayer, Carol, or are you married filing jointly? Okay. What do you anticipate more or less will be your taxable income, say, this year? Uh, without conversion, about two hundred thousand. Okay. So from a so married filing jointly, from one hundred ninety thousand all the way up to three hundred sixty four thousand, you pay twenty four percent tax on everything above one hundred ninety. So if you have to, if you're already in the twenty four percent bracket. And you and you make let's just make this simple. Let's say your taxable income this year is two hundred thousand. You could you could take another hundred and sixty four thousand two hundred dollars into a, do a Roth conversion, and you would stay in the same bracket. But as I was saying before, I looked at the tables. Once you get above three sixty four two hundred, it takes a big jump from twenty four percent to thirty two percent. So if you had half a million dollars, as you say, in a 457, I would stage it over time to keep it in the 24% bracket if I were in your shoes, Carol. Can, can I add money to the Can I do a Roth conversion after I started taking my RMDs? My understanding, and that's a tough one, my understanding is if you're still working and you have taxable income, that you can put money into an IRA and you can put money into a Roth IRA. Uh, that's my understanding, but you'd want to double check on that. I know that if you're still working and you're, you had a 401k, uh, you could, you could, you wouldn't have to worry about the RMDs until you, till later is my understanding, but converting to a Roth and then reaching age now 73, if you still had, taxable income could you add to the Roth? I think so, but I don't know that for a fact. Perhaps we have an expert listening who can text me, but that, I'd want to take a look at that if I were you. If I'm not working, then um, the, I can no longer do a Roth No, conversion. you can do a conversion, but you can't put you can't put an additional money in the Roth because you have income from dividends, interest, social security, et cetera. It doesn't matter. You have to, my understanding, you have to have earned income. Yeah, okay. 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 Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I thought I saw a text come in, but I don't see it right here, so I'm not going to do anything about that. In fact, what the heck? It's time to take a break for the news. Perfect time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. Stay around for the second half of Money Talk. 
You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Here is a text. Oh, I forgot. You can listen online at newsradioklbj.com, or you go there at your convenience and download podcasts of previous shows, also on SoundCloud, a free app. And this Thursday, after the news at 6, we will rebroadcast today's show, 512-836-0590. Here's the text. I have half a million in TSP, that's the Thrift Savings Plan. I'm a long-term saver, 64 years old, currently on a 2040 plan. What do you recommend as a good long-term investment strategy? So for everybody else, what this person is saying is that she or he has money in what we call a target date fund, where you pick a date Uh, Frequently, some people do it when they think they're going to anticipate retirement. This person has chosen a a longer plan of, of, uh, of, you know, 2040. So uh, what they do is they balance, whether it's Fidelity or Vanguard or J.P. Morgan or whoever, they take stock and bond funds and they make them in a balanced portfolio that they believe is appropriate at that stage, and then they assume that the owner of the 2040 plan, as she or he approaches retirement, they will become more conservative, putting more money into bonds and taking it out of stocks. When these came along, they were a great idea in my view because many people were so overwhelmed and even intimidated by the various selections in a classic tip defined contribution or 401k or 403b plan. They just set in cash, which is a terrible idea. Or if they had a company stock option, they took that, which frequently can be quite dangerous, but not always. Think Enron, for example. And as a result, this idea was you can just push a button and get this. So that's fine with me. The problem I have is one size doesn't fit all, and you are a perfect example. You have half a million dollars in a thrift savings plan, and you're 64, and you've chosen a very long-term plan because, as you point out, you're a long-term saver. So I like the idea that you've chosen one that has a term much further out than you would think for a 64-year-old person. If you have the time and the interest, I like the idea of taking charge and taking the mutual fund menu that you have at the thrift savings plan and tilting it towards growth because as a 64-year-old person, you have a long life expectancy. The fact that you've been able to have a half save and invest a half a million dollars tells me that you likely have access to good nutrition. You probably take care of yourself. You probably don't abuse alcohol or tobacco. And so life expectancy tables may not, may not be terribly relevant to you because they include all, all those people who don't do the things that you've done. And they add into that as well. So you need to think about longevity, as my colleague Lindsay would say, rather than, than, than life expectancy, and plan for a long life. You have three risks. What's going to happen to the cost of living? How long are you going to live? 
Those aren't risks, they're unknowns. You have three unknowns. What's going to happen to the cost of living? How long are you going to live? And what is going to be the rate of return on your TSP? And I don't know, and you don't know, but I like the idea of leaning into risk. So if I were in your shoes, I would have 60% in U.S. and foreign stocks, uh, my favorite allocation uh, currently and has been for several years has been 75 domestic 25 percent foreign stocks and then if your only other options are bonds uh, and you have something that says strategic income or high income or high yield i would avoid that because historically they act like stocks and what you want from your bond portion is to be non-correlated. Does that always work? Sure doesn't. Did not work last year when the Bloomberg AG was down around 13%. But having said that, over time, and that's what we're talking about because you correctly describe yourself as a long-term saver, investment-grade bonds have a very low correlation to stocks. You just want to avoid long-term bond funds because that's where you have the greatest risk of price risk. So you want to stay in the intermediate-term bond fund, or if you want to do two, a short-term bond fund and an intermediate-term bond fund, I would call that a bond uh, a barbell. So that's what I would do in most traditional 401k defined contribution plans. You're really limited to that. If they have a real estate fund, for example, it's positively correlated to stocks, and if you want to do that, carry take that out of your stock allocation. Also, if they have an emerging markets fund, personally, I would not use that, not because there aren't great values there, but because they're much more volatile, and when they're out of favor, they can really, really stink it up. That's an investment term. Great question. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's another text. Carl. My wife has an annuity with State Farm. She has contributed to for over 25 years. Now that she is nearing retirement, she wants to roll it into an IRA if possible to avoid taxes. I told her I thought she would have to pay taxes on the gains, but she would need to know the contribution costs. What do you recommend? Well, you're giving her good advice. So there are two, in this kind of annuity, there are two kinds of annuities. There are what are called, um, well, how's the word I want? It's not after tax. Qualified or non-qualified, that's it. Qualified annuity means that the money you put in was pre-tax. It was in a retirement plan, and it was tax deductible. And then when the money comes out of that, all of it's subject to income tax. This sounds like a non-qualified annuity, which means the money that you put in, your wife put in, was her own after-tax dollars. So if she takes money out of the annuity, everything over and above her after-tax contributions is subject to income tax, okay? And then once that has been drained, her contributions, since they've already had taxes paid on them, are not taxable. But can she roll that... I told she is nearing retirement, wants to roll it into an IRA. The answer is no. (laughs) Sorry. If this is a non-qualified annuity or, frankly, a qualified annuity, if it weren't done initially inside an IRA, you can't take a non-IRA asset and roll it into an IRA to avoid the taxes. There's simply no way to avoid the taxes. So what I would do if I were her is... What I described to it within an earlier context was 
look at the tax tables uh, like we did with Carol when she called and keep yourself in a, the same or similar tax bracket as you withdraw money from the annuity. And you can't make new contributions to an IRA unless you have taxable income, not income from Social Security, pensions, etc. Thanks for the text. We're down to our last 19 minutes, so if you're thinking of calling or texting, I have all the lines available, 512-836-0590. We had an important week in the financial markets when Chairman Powell came out and talked about Fed interest rate policy. As market participants had anticipated, the Fed did not raise interest rates. However, they made it very clear that they were perfectly willing to raise rates in the future if they didn't see inflation coming down. The stock market did not like this, and the bond market did not like this, because the phrase higher for longer is being quite popular and bandied about Wall Street, that rates are going to stay at an elevated level, not only through the rest of this year, but well into next year. And what you saw was a significant jump in treasuries. The two-year treasury, I believe, got to 5%. The 10-year treasury briefly traded at a 450 yield. I read somewhere, I think that's the highest that the the 10-year treasury has been uh, since the global financial crisis. So this is not a small deal. It's a big deal. And stocks didn't like that. There's, There's some belief that low interest rates help growth stocks get higher price earnings ratios and high interest rates hurt them and you do see a sell off in the growth stocks you know the S- the uh, Nasdaq had been up over 30 maybe 32% it's now up uh, on a year to day basis about 27 and a half percent and investors are thinking through the consequences to in- investable assets particularly bonds in my view but also the economy and its impact on higher for longer most of the pundits uh, who I listen to and read suggest the reason the Fed did not raise rates again is because of what's called the lag effect, and that is it takes a while for Fed policy to work itself through a multi-trillion dollar economy. And let's, fr- let's just, you know, the challenge the Fed has is everybody in America who wants a job has got a job. Uh, you wouldn't be having a UAW strike if they thought that their, their business was going to go away that they, labor believes that they're in a strong position because business is good. That's not the kind of thing that causes inflation to go down. Time for me to take a break. We're down to our last quarter hour. Good time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. When you have a when you have a question, call or call or text 512-836-0590. Also, I've just uh, got uh, an email from a longtime listener, uh, Ken who said, titled the email, More on Too Good to be True. This is probably true, but possible problems posed for the FDIC insurance fund. A brokerage firm that I've never heard of before, no big deal there, is now offering 4.80 APY annual interest on what amounts to a money market account. 
They are moving deposits around to a variety of banks to establish virtually unlimited FDIC coverage. These are demand deposits and not certificates of deposit. My worry is that the numerous banks that they have disclosed may be having liquidity problems, thus the very interest rate of at least 40 basis points above the highest that I know of. If liquidity problems exist in these institutions, I hope the FDIC and Treasury Department's monitoring this activity. Well, I do too. I do. I know what you're talking about because actually where I bank, when the Silicon Valley Bank uh, collapse occurred, my banker called me and said, you, we can move your money around and keep it under the FDIC limit. It's not CDs, it's daily deposits, as Ken says. So thanks for the alert. 512-836-0590. Let's see if we've got another call here. I thought I had heard one. Bob, you're on the line. How may I help? Carl, you had a caller, a lady caller a while back that was talking about her plans, and I think she was talking about RMDs and conversions. Yes. Um, and and I heard her question to be, uh, if if once I start taking my RMDs, may I still take a uh, Roth conversion? And and the answer is yes. But it also brought two things to mind. Number one, the answer is yes, you can, because I'm doing that. Hopefully, I'm right. <laughs> but secondly, she needs to know that she needs to watch this. She must take her RMD prior to taking any Roth conversion. Otherwise, the IRS will rule that money coming out for the conversion is not a conversion but her RMD, so she'll get messed up. And secondly, as you mentioned, the RMD is taxable, and you must watch out because your Roth conversion is also taxable, and it's very easy to get outside that 22 and even 24% tax bracket when you're making yeah. those kind of moves. So um, yeah. watch real closely yeah. with your finance advisor or your right. tax accountant because it's it's real easy between the RMD and the Roth conversion to get outside those tax brackets. Let me ask you this, because I understood her to ask this as well. Let's say she has a 457 and she does an IRA rollover and then a Roth conversion. Can she then put more money into the Roth, not from the conversion from the IRA, but she's when she's in an RMD, let's say she's 74, so now she has a required minimum distribution, and she's got this Roth. Can she put new Roth money into it at the same year that she's taking out an RMD? I don't know the answer to that. Do you? I believe the answer is that she can, Carl. But I remember when I looked further into it, it has with it some caveats that makes it basically makes it a little bit um, unattractive yeah. uh, when it comes time to taking the money back out. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. The well, the answer is with both IRAs and Roths, I believe you can, but they have a twist on it that they need to look into because okay. it's not as clean as it is prior to your starting your RMDs. All right, now let me ask you another question. Uh, you're, you're my IRMA expert for all our listeners. Uh, there's a real challenge, which is when you get above a certain amount, the, um, the what, what the government charges you for your Medicare, and they do that by reducing your Social Security payment, what, your government, what the government charges you for Medicare 
you just make one dollar over the next bracket, and it, and you get a substantial increase in costs or deductions in Social Security. If you if this person does this conversion and creates taxable income, uh, is that with, with does she have the same Irma risk with that as if it were normal income? Correct. You, when when I'm trying to do my planning, there's several balls up in the air there, yeah. um, Carl. Your your regular taxable income. Uh, and then with things like Irma, they're going to even take things outside of that, like tax-free income, uh-huh. and add to it to get to a basis. And and like you just mentioned, if you go one dollar over one of their steps, yeah. you get hit with the full dollar amount of that yeah. uh, a new additional Medicare Part B, and it can right. be fairly substantial. Right. So that's that's part of what you also look into is. If I do an RMD, what's going to be my tax bracket and what's going to be my IRMA? And then secondly, if I do an additional Roth conversion, right. have I stepped on any of those lines? Right. And it's very easy to go above. And, and I'm definitely going over the IRMA uh, and the 22% bracket and yeah. trying to stay inside that 24. Right. And it's a big balancing act. Yeah, but the only reason for even worrying about it in the past, I didn't want to do it because Irma gets substantial. But if Congress gets around to changing any of the tax code, um, it can be more detrimental than that Irma cost is today. Yeah, good. Terrific. Okay. Thanks for your call, Bob. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. There was an article about retirement in today's Wall Street Journal, uh, and it's a regular weekend column, and the uh, columnist pointed out uh, regarding required minimum distribution, and the fact is that you can do charitable, what are called qualified charitable distributions at 70 and a half, uh, and once you hit 73, if you have a required minimum distribution, or let's say you are taking RMDs now back when the age was 70 and a half. You can do a qualified charitable distribution to your to your church or alma mater or any other 501c3 charity, not-for-profit. And the, if you are charitably inclined, uh, that's also something to keep in mind because of what Bob and I were talking about. If that RMD could possibly thrust you into a higher IRMA tax and you were going to go ahead and make a charitable contribution anyway, you can make charitable contributions out of your IRA up to $100,000. Uh, and so that it has, to be, it has to be the RMD and it has to come out first. The, the if you take other money out and you don't and it's not a QCD, then it's treated as not uh, as it's not your RMD and it's just regular withdrawal and it's not and you get subject to taxes. Boy, it's just complicated. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text five one two eight three six zero five ninety. I got a text at the end of the broadcast last Saturday. It was a very short text. It said. I have $100,000, what should I do? <laughs> I said, send it to Money Talk. But really, that's a, that's a wonderful question because it's both a financial planning and an investment planning question. And the answer, unfortunately, because the person texted instead of calling, I don't know uh, what her financial situation is. What I have learned over the years is 
if we just look at ourselves as an income statement in our working years and we say, look, I have money in my checking account, I have a little bit in my savings account, I'm okay, we fail to understand that at some point in the future, either because we want to or because we have to, we stop earning money. But our bills don't stop. We don't stop eating. We don't stop driving our vehicle. We don't stop paying rent or mortgage necessarily. And the cost of living doesn't freeze. And so living on Social Security is not a pleasant thing. About I read today there's a lot of people in the United States, that's all they have to live on because they didn't have the ability or the understand the necessity of saving and investing for the future. So one way to think about yourself is, an ass, is a balance sheet. What are my assets and what are my liabilities? Because if I can reduce and ultimately eliminate my liabilities, then my living expenses go substantially lower, and I can tighten my belt if I have to. So if you have $100,000 and you have a car note or you have credit card debt, Probably a good thing to pay that off. Now, credit card debt's extremely expensive and generally no asset supporting it because you spend it at Starbucks you know, or at the department store or Walmart. So getting rid of credit card debt is essential. But you can't stop there because you got into credit card debt in the first place. So you have to think about what is it and why will that not happen again if I continue to live the way I'm living? So then you need to get a hold of what your true expenses are. And my, my observation is a lot of us don't know. So the best thing to do is to keep paper receipts of everything you purchase and then sit down on the weekend while you're listening to Money Talk and add up all your expenditures. And we can even categorize them. How much, for, how much for gas, how much for groceries, how much for, I don't know, whatever else it is, pleasure, entertainment. Find that out and you will begin to see where you can make some changes so that once you pay off your credit card debt, you're not going to be back uh, in the same boat in the future. Now, mortgage debt's a different deal. While there's no guarantee that you're going to have an appreciation in your home, there is the odds that it will, and you'll build equity in your home as you pay down your mortgage. But the other debt, frankly, is pernicious. By the way, I just got an email from our friend Ken, so I'm going to interrupt myself because we're down to the end of the broadcast. Ken says, one may not make contributions to a Roth conversion account. One may only make Roth contributions to a non-conversion Roth account, new or already established, and only then within the income guidelines and if receiving wage equivalent income. So what that means is, it, to go back to Carol's question, she can do a Roth conversion coming out of the 457 through the IRA, but if she wants to put new money in the Roth, she needs to have a separate Roth, and of course she has what he calls wage equivalent income. Thanks a lot, Ken. And then back to what I was saying. So you look at your liabilities if you have this money. And then there are other non-financial liabilities. The big one is your future retirement. And if you have children or grandchildren that you want to help, say, get a, get a, a degree uh, after high school, that's another one. But let's suppose we'll start with yourself. So what you want to have happen is you want the money to grow and you want it to grow faster than inflation or the cost of living. Putting it in the bank, putting it in a money market fund, putting it in a CD, in spite of how really attractive those rates are today, is not going to accomplish your objective. Because to outpace inflation, you have to take risk. 
And so with that money, if you're a regular listener and you know what I'm going to say, you need to look at stock mutual funds, at least to begin with. And you can want to start with cheap ones. You can either do this yourself or you can engage an investment advisor, a financial advisor, and start with index funds for U.S. stocks and foreign stocks, and you can add on to that over time. Really important question for everybody. We're down to the end of the broadcast. Had a great afternoon. I want to thank Garrett for doing his usual terrific job. I want to thank you for listening. We're going to be on the road next week. So after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talks. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 